Gee, Pines, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pluto. Talk about Pinky and the Brain. Pointcast, the podcast dedicated to the beloved cartoon characters Pinky and the Brain, as we chronicle their evolution episode by episode, from Animaniacs to their two spin-off series, and all the way to the Animaniacs reboot. My name is Mary Jo, but you can call me MJ or Pines. And my name is Kelly, but you can call me Pluto. Today we're going to be discussing When Mice Ruled the Earth, which premiered in episode 47 of Animaniacs. But before we go into that episode, I do want to address a couple of mistakes that I've made in the previous episodes. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's okay. It happens. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're only human. Um, yep. You know, we're, we're not perfect. So mistakes are bound to be made, but hopefully we'll rectify them. Or at least as yep. much as possible. Yep. Wakey, wakey, I made a mistake So uh, the first mistake I made um, during the, the World Can Wait episode... I mispronounced Nicholas Hollander's name. Like, I said, like, Nicholas Holland, and I'm like, oops. Yeah, oops, oopsie-daisy. Oopsie. Yep. Yeah, because he was a writer on Animaniacs, and I believe he was the guy responsible for the Katie Kaboom segments. Sorry, Mr. Hollander. Sorry. My, our bad. My <laughs> bad, actually. And then um, another uh, mispronounced name in the last episode uh, during the review of uh, Reichenbrain Falls. I mispronounced Charlton Heston's name. Oh, no. I mean, yeah. I'm like, I said- <laughs> Shame on your family. <laughs> yep. Char- I said Charles Heston. I'm like, and then oh, during no. recording, I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm like, yeah, I mean- It's okay. It happens. <laughs> yeah, it happens. You know, I mean, these these things are bound to happen. So, you know. I think I like, I recall hearing you say that and- I think like we were in the middle of recording. I think I just kind of like it just flew over my <laughs> it flew over my head, or like I subconsciously was like, I think there was a mistake made, but <laughs> I wasn't sure because we were in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It, it's, it's all good. good. Um, yeah. yeah. If you want to point out things, Kelly, if I mess up something, you know, feel free to you know pipe up and you know inform me of I will, like yeah. I will. I will do so. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yep, but that's that's okay, because we're all human, and, you know, these things happen, so. Mistakes were made, but we will rebuild. Absolutely. So, moving on forward, let's talk about When Mice Ruled the Earth. Alrighty. Yep. So, When Mice Ruled the Earth first premiered on November 23rd, 1993 on Fox Kids, alongside a few Warner segments. First off is Video Review in which the Warners reside in a video store and interact with all the other VHS covers in a fun homage to the Looney Tunes short book review. <laughs> I remember that. It was a really fun episode. Yeah, it was a nice little, like, time capsule short of, um, it's like, oh, video stores. Yeah, that was a fun one. I'll have to revisit it sometime. Yeah, it's a good segment. And then the episode is capped off with a Wheel of Morality segment. In which they actually win a trip to Tahiti, so no morals there. 
<laughs> and then the Goodbye Song, which is a uh, parody of a uh, Carol, Burnett, Carol Burnett song. <laughs> so When Mice Rule the Earth was written by Gordon Bressack, directed by Greg Reyna. Animation was done by TMS. And the title card features a multitude of glittering stars across space, with the title and credits written in white. The episode starts off in London in 1895, and the camera moves into the home of author H.G. Wells, who has completed his novel, The Time Machine. And he also happens to have an actual time machine in his own home. (laughs) And he laments that he could not get it to work. And when the author is about to leave, he says, there are some things that man shouldn't meddle with. But once he gets out the door, Brain says, yeah, Brain overhears Wells' lament on how there are some things that man cannot meddle with, but Brain argues that a mouse can. (laughs) So he uses his crooked tail to pick the cage lock, and he calls over to Pinky, saying, come, Pinky. But Pinky is busy on his exercise wheel, saying, just a sec, Brain, I think I'm getting somewhere. (laughs) And Brain just looks over at the camera with this annoyed expression on his face. (laughs) Then we get a screen swipe over to the time machine as the mice climb onto the vehicle. And Brain explains that he'll use utilize the invisible forces of nature to get the time machine to work. And he proceeds to showcase his paperclip. But Pinky argues that, Brain, I can see it quite plainly. And then Brain bops him with the paperclip. To which Pinky adds, I can even feel it. And then Brain tells Pinky that, yeah. Brain tells Pinky that the paperclip will serve as an antenna to gather neutrinos from the cosmos to provide ignition for the craft. Pinky then asks if the antenna would also roast marshmallows, but before Brain could bop Pinky again, he stops to ponder and adds, it might. (laughs) A nice little subversion. He's not going to throw the idea out the window. Yeah. Yeah, that that was very cute. It was cute. Uh, He then tells Pinky that he plans on using the time machine to travel to the primordial era to alter the course of history so that mice would become the dominant species and that they'll choose Brain as their leader. Pinky cheers. He's like, egad, brilliant. But then he's like, wait, 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 wait. Why'd they pick you? And Brain smugly replies, because I'm very likable. But first, we shall travel back to the primordial era, alter the course of evolution, and then return to the present to a world dominated not by humans, but by mice. And they shall choose me as their leader. Egad, brain, brilliant! Oh, oh, wait, no, no. Um, Why would I pick you? Because I'm very (laughs) likable. Classic egotistical brain. Yeah, I love the animation that goes with this too, by the way. It's really cute. Yeah, he's like crossing his arms and nodding. He has this really (laughs) smug smile on his face. Yeah, it really pushes the light. It's very cute. Yeah. Uh, So then the mice start up the time machine, and Brain explains that after their interference, they'll return to a time when mice rule the Earth. And we get this nice little animation where there's like shadows on Brain's face as he's saying this dramatically. And then that phrase is completed with an echo. Now, Pinky, let us begin a journey that will end when mice rule the earth. 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 So then after, um, we get a really cool time travel montage where we see the faces of like Abe Lincoln, Marie Antoinette, and Caesar as they're traveling back in time. And they arrive at the dawn of time. 
But then Pinky stays, oh, wake me up at the noon of time. And then we got a cutaway gag from uh, Wacko playing a rim shot on the drums. And then Pinky's like, looking around, he's like, what was that? And Brain replies, An engine knock. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the mice then land in an era where mice and man are in the same developmental area. As uh, we have a mouse and a caveman trying to retrieve berries from a tree. And then Brain uh, puts Pinky on some springs. And he's explaining to a bunch of cave mice that they'll be one step ahead of man. And then Brain pushes Pinky and Pinky starts to bounce around on the trees. He's getting smacked around on all the branches as berries start to fall down. So his plan works. However, uh, the caveman looks around and he sees uh, Brain standing right next to him. And he gets the idea that, like, he'll just throw mice to get food down. So he grabs Brain and just throws him onto a tree. And then we get a um, transition over to the next scene where we see a bunch of cavemen throwing mice up at the trees. <laughs> and uh, Pinky and Brain are heading back to the time machine. But Brain tells Pinky that they'll head to 1853. And Pinky's like, why? And Brain's like, that's when aspirin was invented. <laughs> As we see like little bumps on his head. Oh, poor Brain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the guy gets smacked around in this one, but he takes it like a champ. He does. Um, so then the mice travel from 1 million BC to 500,000 BC in the late afternoon, where Brain tries to use like weaponry to put rodents one step ahead of the humans. And Pinky shows the arrows that they made as a cooking tool, because like, that's perfect for a cookout, and it's really easy to clean, but Brain then just bops them with it. And he tries to showcase the arrow, but he finds that man has already beat them to it, and that they've created clubs, so... They're late again to this, like, they've not made it. So they travel to 50,000 BC, and Brain dramatically explains that they'll be able to arrive at the next step in mouse evolution. And Pinky gets really excited about this as he copies Brain's mannerisms and his poses, and he eagerly asks him, like, can I say the next part? <laughs> and, Brain, <laughs> and Brain crosses his arms, and he gruffly says, oh, all right. <laughs> And Pinky exclaims, when mice rule the earth, complete with this dramatic echo. That was, that was adorable. Very cute. <laughs> All is not lost, Pinky. We can still travel forward to the next key moment in mouse evolution. Then we will return to a time when... Oh, 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 can I say this time, Brain? Oh, all right. When mice rule the earth! The earth, the earth, the earth. And afterwards, they arrive at a cave... As the mice stand before this crowd of, like, cave mice that are sitting there. And Bray tries to demonstrate to them how to create a fire. But he slams, like, his thumbs against the rocks and Pinky adds, That is called pain. And <laughs> replies, like, yeah. If mice are first to control fire, they will rise above mankind. Look, primitive Neolithic rodents. Look and learn one of the primal forces of nature. That would be pain! Yeah. But as Bray tries to cool off his thumb, he tells Pinky to show them how to make a fire. And fortunately, Pinky manages to start the fire by telling the mice to hit how to hit the two thingies together, <laughs> he says. And they cause a spark, but the flame lands on Bray's, Brain's tail, unfortunately. And both mice are like, they're initially really excited that they made fire. But and even Bray's like, yeah! He's like, you know, yeah. smiling. And I'm like, aw. 
Yeah, like he's really excited, but then he realizes, oh, like he's in pain. <laughs> His tail's on fire. And so he runs over to this like pool of water nearby to cool off. But when he does so, he sees this like giant woolly mammoth there. And Pinky shoves like the rocks over in the cave to the other cave mice to go and scare off the woolly mammoth and get him away from Brain. And so the mice that are back in the cave, they make some fire and you can kind of see that they all sort of resemble Pinky a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, just like the shadows? Their looks. Yeah, the shadows, they kind of look like Pinky. Mm-hmm. They even kind of say his verbal tics. They have his mannerisms too a little bit. A little foreshadowing here. And as Pinky lifts Brain up and this is how he saved him, Brain remarks that the woolly mammoth was keeping the saber-tooth at bay. <laughs> they turn and they see this giant saber-toothed cat looming over them as they flee back to the time machine. But before they leave, Brain notices that the cave mice have made fire, and he's like, oh, the plan worked. So, satisfied, they flee, they manage to get away from the saber-toothed tiger, and they arrive back in 1895. And they even find that all their surroundings are now mouse-sized. Pinky's like, oh, we're giant mice! Yeah. Like, everything's, like, tiny now. It's, like, all, you know... The chairs. chairs, Tiny tables, bookshelves, everything. Like, the rooms are mouse size. Yep. So, the the plan seemed to work. So, Brain asks Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And Pinky replies, I think so, Brain, but... Coolotes? Coyotes. Coyotes, I'm sorry. Coolotes or something. Coyotes. Go ahead. I think it's coolotes. Coolotes? Yes. So I think so, Brain, but Kulots have a tendency to ride up so. Kulots are actually like, uh, they're like uh, like dress pants. Okay, I figured. Yeah, I saw on Wikipedia that they're like dress pants or... Something of the sort. Yeah. Let me get the He's... proper definition. He's made a couple of uh, like attire-related jokes like this before. Yeah, those are always funny. <laughs> this one... Yeah, and there's another one later on where he's like, but burlap chafes me so... <laughs> Yeah, so it's like, yeah, so according to Wikipedia, the term can either refer to split skirts, historical men's breeches, or women's underpants. Oh, well, there you go, folks. Yep, so they're, yeah, which is the French word coolio, which is a pair of panties, pants, knickers, trousers, shorts, or breeches. Okay. So take your pick, folks. (laughs) Learn something new every day. (laughs) Cool. So after this little quip, Brain explains that rodents have now become the dominant species. He's created a mouse world, a perfect world. (laughs) His plan has worked. (laughs) And he opens up the window to see the fruits of his labor, only to find that the populace all resemble Pinky. Oh! Oh boy. So they see the mice, all the mice eagerly exclaim, point, narf, egad, as they rush to go see their their world leaders. (laughs) Brain just freaks out. He like desperately explains like they're like, like charging up the oh yeah they're charging up like the house and they're like and Brain's just yeah. like nope and then in cartoony he, fashion he's like rushing over the door slams it and then just runs back yeah. and the animation is just so good there it's really really good very funny very cartoony very Looney Tunes ish <laughs> and he's like he desperately explains like they gotta go back they gotta undo their meddling they have to turn everything back to normal and Pinky's like. Why? It'd be easy to rule a world of mice like them. And the pinky-like mice, like, they burst through the room and they bounce around while shouting out all their little verbal tics, and Brain exasperatedly responds, Yes, pinky, but who would want to? (laughs) (laughs) And then... So then the time machine starts up, 
and Cora sings them off, and that's the end of When Mice Rule the Earth. Quickly, Pinky. We must return to the past. I must change it all back again. But what, Vane? It'd be easy to rule a world of mice like them. Point again. Yeah. Down. Sword. Yes, Pinky. But who would want to? Point again. Yeah. Down. They're Pinky. They're Pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun little cartoon. It's very fun. Yep, so we only have a um, a few firsts and fun facts. Okay. So this is the first Pinky and the Brain cartoon to be written by Gordon Bressack. Hmm. Well, the late great Gordon Bressack. Uh, he was a writer on Animaniacs, and he was also he was also a writer on the Pinky and the Brain spinoff. Oh, okay. And yeah, I've, he's actually, he was actually one of my favorite writers because he like wrote like some really memorable ones and. He often collaborated with fellow writer Charles M. Howell IV. Mm, yeah, that's right. They did collab often. Yeah. Like, when we go to the Pinky and the Brain spinoff, um, they, they wrote a lot of good episodes that I'm really, we're really excited to talk about. They did. Yep. And some of those episodes include You Said a Mouseful, The Third Mouse, and Pinky and the Brain, and Larry. <laughs> those are all really fun ones. I love You Said a Mouseful. That's really funny. Yeah. Uh, Third Mouse is very fun, nice little parody, and of course the Larry episode is... Iconic. Is hilarious. Yeah, iconic. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, you know, in this episode, I liked how he wrote Pinky and Brain here. Same. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but yeah, he's, he was a really prominent and amazing writer. We miss him so much. Yeah, we... I miss a lot of... There's a few writers uh, on the show that have since passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did, uh, Rusty Mills, uh, who is one of the directors. Okay. Yeah. One of the directors, uh, he passed away some years ago. Liz Holzman did. She yeah. was a writer and producer. She, yeah, she did some really good work on Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. So our tip of the hat to those who are no longer with us that have written some really great episodes. We love your work and it is still beloved to this day. Likewise. Thank you for your work, and we miss you all. Um, yep, yeah, so this is also the first Pinky and the Brain episode in which the mice travel back in time, and they actually have, like, a functioning time machine. Yeah. Because <laughs> in uh, Puppet Rules, it was just, like, um, cryogenics, but here it's like, oh, they have, like, a time machine with, like, little buttons and, like, the dates on them. Yep, yeah, and it works. It, it does work. <laughs> it actually works. <laughs> Um, this is also the first Pinky and the Brain episode in which Brain's plan actually works, uh, in which he does take over the world. There were some episodes in which Brain would temporarily have control over the world before everything just kind of like reversed to the status quo. And some of those episodes uh, from the spinoff include uh, It's Only a Paper World, in which the mice convince Earth's population to migrate <laughs> over to this giant Paper mache replica of the world dubbed Chia Earth. It's hilarious. It's, so it's funny. one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Um, so he does rule over like basically a desolate Earth for a while before like a meteor strikes it and blows it. Up. And he like gets bored of it too. He's just like, uh Yeah, like he has no one to rule, so he gets lonely. <laughs> it's just him and Pinky just like you know, yeah. bowing around Earth. <laughs> it's pretty funny. 
there's also a pinky in the brain Halloween, in which Pinky sells his soul to the devil in exchange for Brain becoming ruler of Earth. So in that one, Brain is ruler, and he's happy for a little bit, but he quickly realizes that he feels absolutely empty without Pinky, um, and so he he resolves to go back and to go and rescue him. Uh, so that doesn't that world takeover doesn't last last for very long either. Um, there's also the Animaniacs reboot episode of Mice and Memes. Uh, that has a video of Brain going viral, and he does have control over the world for about a day. Yeah. Before, yeah, so it's in his grasp before another meme comes along and just takes over <laughs> over that. Um, and there's also Mouse Madness, um, which has Brain ruling over the world for a little bit. And like one of the timelines. Yeah, that's the one that we just went over in our last uh, our last episode. So he... He does travel to a timeline where he's emperor, you know, even has his own little island as a lair for a little bit, but that only lasts like a, <laughs> a couple of minutes as well. Yeah, he doesn't stay there for very long, uh, as Pinky in that timeline is revealed to be like a malicious alien, and there's several holes in the space-time continuum that appear uh, to like, to riff through, so. Oh, if I may add one more example. Oh, yeah. A Pinky the Brain Christmas. Because in that one, yeah, technically, technically, because yeah, right. for like a few for seconds, because you... Brain's machine works, he has like, you know, you know, the populace, like everybody like listening to him. Yeah, he had them. <laughs> he had them right in his grasp. So technically he did take over the world for a little bit. But then after reading Pinky's heartfelt letter and being like emotionally devastated and yeah. he's just like broken down into tears and he... So instead of trying to like make the like populace follow him, Brain instead wishes everybody a Merry Christmas. Um. Ladies and gentlemen of the world, you will do as I say. For I I command you. I command you to. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a Merry, Merry Christmas. Joy to the world. Yes. <laughs> it's so sweet. Like, that episode is iconic for a number of reasons, but that's one of them, is that he did have control over the world for a brief period of time, just for a few seconds. And he could have taken over, uh, but instead he chose to do... <laughs> Arguably, I suppose the right thing. Like he supposed, he chose not to, uh, just because Pinky's letter, as you said, touched him so deeply. Yeah, and he felt so guilty about how he treated Pinky that he's like, okay, right. if Pinky can't, you know, send his letter to Santa, I can't have the world, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's just very sweet. Yeah, it was so great. Um, and now we'll just talk about some fun facts. Okay, doke. So the time machine itself actually resembles the time machine from the 1979 Warner Brothers movie called Time After Time. Huh. Not not to be confused with the Cyndi Lauper classic. Okay. <laughs> so the movie Time After Time actually follows H.G. Wells, <laughs> the author, which was interesting because he's played by Malcolm McDowell. That is interesting. As he um, travels into like 1979 San Francisco and he teams up with a 20th century woman who's played by Mary Steenburgen, as they try to capture Jack the Ripper. Really? Who's, who's played by <laughs> David Warner. Yeah, that's like, I haven't seen the movie, but I watched the trailer and I'm like, huh. 
That's interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting story. It's like... That is really interesting. <laughs> it, it seems like something like out of a fanfic, but it's like, okay. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> that but, is interesting. But yeah, the time the time machine, like in the movie, like when I watched the trailer, I'm like, oh, it's like, it's the same color. It's like a gold, like little pod. It has like the little like satellite dish. Yep. And I like how uh, the time machine in that episode actually has wells on the license plate. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was yeah. like a nod to that movie because it must have been yeah it must have been mm-hmm. <laughs> i've seen the um the 1960 time machine uh film i have not then. seen the time machine it's fun i liked it i mean you look at it now and it's a bit dated but i enjoyed it as a kid i thought it was really fun and engaging it had some interesting uh cinematic tricks that they did in that uh, to oh, make cool. it look like time was going backwards or forwards. It was interesting. I liked it. Cool. Um, another fun fact. In the episode, Brain states that aspirin was invented in, ni- in 1853, but it was actually invented in the late 1800s. Yeah, there's so. like some debate as to who like invented like actual aspirin because like mm. the treatment itself has been like around for like a while, but I believe... Yeah. Uh, according to my sources, it said that um, Felix Hoffman, hmm. a German chemist who was notable for resynthesizing diamorphine. Okay. Well, there, yeah, there was some controversy because Hoffman first claimed to be the inventor of aspirin. Hmm. Okay. So Brain may or may not have gotten that one wrong, depending on like who actually invented the medicine. Yeah. So, so there's, yeah. yeah. So who knows? It's It's a mystery, but he might have gotten that one wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then there's another fun fact, the Animaniacs comics, um, I forget which issue, but there was a plot similar to when mice ruled the earth, when the mice do like travel back to the prehistoric era and try to, um, alter the course of history so that brain is the ruler, but, but that one takes place in like the modern day. Cause when they go back to like the present, which is like contemporary, like 1990s, like they, they arrive back in the like, present time, but they see like a parade of people worshiping like a mouse with like that has like brains like head yeah but um it's actually like a mickey mouse parody called ricky <laughs> ricky mouse or something like yeah i do remember this like i've at least heard of it i think i've read it uh some time ago but yeah it's in one of the comics i don't remember which issue it was either unfortunately yeah maybe once probably we'll get like some more info and we'll like probably say it in the next episode yeah if we don't find it and you guys happen to know which issue it is, shout it out. <laughs> We'd love to hear it. But I know I've read this, so trust us, it exists. We swear. It, it does. We swear. This is true, <laughs> we swear. <laughs> yeah, so now we'll just uh, go over our thoughts on the episode. Okay. Yeah, so I thought this was a pretty cute cartoon. I thought like the plot was a little bit basic for like a time travel story. Because the story is basically like, it's set up like a Looney Tunes short where it's like, okay, we'll try this and then we mess up and then it kind of just, we have to go on to the next thing until we get it right. Yeah, it it feels very kind of old style Looney Tunes. And yeah, it was, you know, the the story of the episode is very basic, but um, there are a lot of cute moments between Pinky and Brain, uh, a lot of the uh, banter there from the... Uh, brain being like because I'm very likable yeah. <laughs> to like the whole when mice rule the earth title drop yep. where brain says it dramatically and then later in the episode Pinky's like oh can I say it 
Because, <laughs> like, Pinky's, like, copying Brain, and he's being into it, too. Yeah. And Brain's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, that was cute. I do like... Um, the animation by TMS is really good, and I think that elevated the episode a lot more. Agreed. Because they capture that cartooniness from, like, a lot of, like, the physical gags and everything. Yeah. To even, like, some of the... How Brain runs, especially in the yeah. end, where they're, <laughs> like, so running around and they're, like... Vroom. And they, they <laughs> a lot of pushed expressions in this one that are really good. Um, a lot of, like, poses and everything. Um, some really nice background art in this one. I do think, like, the um, like the setting, like, the 1895 setting kind of threw me off a little bit. Because I'm like, why would H.G. Wells have a time machine? <laughs> I'm like, he wrote the story, yeah. But then, like, and then I, I did a little digging where it's like, oh, there was, like, a movie that was, like, basically, like, an H.G. Wells fanfic with him having a time machine. So I'm like, okay, maybe that was a nod at that. It probably is. I mean, if the episode had, like, taken place during, like, you know, contemporary time and, like, Brain t- invented a time machine, it probably would have played out the same way, so. Yeah. So one of the things I actually do uh, love about the episode, besides the animation is and the um, banter between the mice, is the uh, the ending. Yeah, the ending is really, really fun. <laughs> yeah, the ending is actually pretty great. Um, yeah, it's cute. I do wish that they had kind of kept the cave mice in the shadows, though, because it kind of would have made that ending... A lot better, but I do love that reveal where it's the like, um, like Brain opens the window to see like everybody looks like Pinky, yeah, <laughs> and he's actually kind of terrified of that. <laughs> like his plan works. I do like that. Like his plan has worked. Like everything kind of fell into place, but um, he just didn't like the end result. It's like, <laughs> dang it! Like one Pinky is enough. He could barely handle one, much less an entire world. Filled with pinkies. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the fact that they're like all eager to see him. Yeah. The pinky, they're like, that, yeah, that it's was like, cute. <laughs> that was adorable. Um, and brain being like, yeah, but who would want to? Yeah, <laughs> and I find this hilarious because um, in one of the Pinky and the Brain spinoff episodes, Napoleon Brain Apart, there was an adorable little um joke oh, yeah. where Brain's ideal version of heaven is being surrounded by an angelic choir of pinkies. Yeah, so, like, he wants it, but... He wants it, but, like, he can't bring himself to actually admit it, so he's like, yeah. yeah. So I Cute. thought that whole that whole ending was just great, and, yeah, that was that was really funny. But, yeah, yeah overall, um, yeah, I like this one a lot. I thought it was a very cute, very fun episode. Um, I, I do like a lot of the crazier time travel episodes more, I kind of wish they would have gone, like, a little, like, more inventive with some of the time travel shenanigans, but as it still stands, it's a it's a fun little episode. It is fun. Like, it's almost unfair to compare it to things like Mouse Madness that just really push it to the nth degree when it comes to stylistic choices, uh, but they're just two very different kinds of time travel episodes in different ways. But this one's still, like, uh, it is very basic, you know, it, you know, it, it follows a pattern that you can read very easily. Um, it definitely reminds me of uh, some of the old Looney Tunes cartoons, but it's very cute um, for all the points that you mentioned. I enjoy this episode. You know, whenever it comes up, I'm like, yeah, this is a fun one. I'll, I'll sit down and watch this. <laughs> it's cute. Um, I definitely love the animation the most about this. as my yeah. favorite thing. Like whenever you see TMS's name come up, you know that you're in for a treat. Or when you just see their style, you're like, oh, yep, that's them. So 
very distinguishable style. They also did um, an episode coming up that we will be reviewing soon called Brain Brain Meets Brawn. Oh yeah, which is fantastic. You know, well, very well animated. It's just an absolute treat. I'd highly recommend watching it for the art alone. Uh, but this is another really good one with some really fun expressions, you know, and poses and animation to the characters. So it's very cute. And there's some fun little back and forths between the characters here. So, yeah, I like it, too. Like, it's not my favorite episode of Picky in the Brain, uh, but I'd say kind of it like sits in the middle, sort of, you know, of the Animaniacs Picky in the Brain segments. I say it's kind of like in the middle somewhere. Yeah, it's just still enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll just quickly go over our NARF rating. Okay. Yep, so I'm going to give When Mice Ruled the Earth 7.5 NARFs out of 10. And I'm going to mirror that and also give it 7.5 NARFs out of 10. Cool. So moving on, the next little portion of this episode, I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah, we got a treat for you guys. Yeah. Um, so as <laughs> I, I reached out to um, Tom Minton and asked him, I initially asked him if he wanted to come on the show, but he politely declined being like recorded on the show, which is valid. Yeah. But um, he did say um, that he would happily answer any questions that I have that I would have for him. And that was that that got me excited because I'm like, I have a lie. <laughs> so I, I messaged messaged him online, asked him some questions, and he got back to me very quickly and he had a lot to say. <laughs> so we're we're really excited to showcase this written interview. Same. I'm still thrilled that he actually wrote you back. Um and yeah. very kindly offered to answer your questions in written form and We'll be reading them out to you guys uh, today. We have three questions, I think, yeah. uh, in total that he answered. And so thank you in advance, uh, Mr. Mitten, for, for getting back to Mary Jo here, uh, for answering the questions that she had and uh, very kindly participating in this interview. We're thrilled. <laughs> We're thrilled by that. So thank you. Yeah. I Thank you so much, uh, Tom, for responding to my questions and taking the time to answer those inquiries uh really eloquently by the way um yeah very much so yeah thank you so much for taking the time to do that um i'm i i can't describe how excited and grateful i am for that same yeah so let's get on to it so he titled it tom mitten's replies to mary joe hurley's queries for the podcast database <laughs> So I suppose how we will go through this is, um, I believe, Pines, you will be reading out uh, your questions, and then I guess I will be replying, uh, reading out Tom Minton's replies, correct? Cool. Okay. Yeah, well, let's do that. Alrighty. So the first question I asked for Tom was, what was your time working on Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain like? Were your coworkers friendly, amiable, or helpful? How would you describe the working environment at Warner Brothers Animation during that time? And Tom Minton replies, I joined Warner Brothers Television Animation in February 1989 at the inception of the division, being hired by Tom Ruger and Gene McCurdy from Ralph Bakshi Productions, where I have been head writer on Bakshi's game-changing CBS series Mighty Mouse The New Adventures, which aired in 1987 to 1988 on Saturday mornings. I had known Tom Ruger since our filmation days of the late 1970s, 
when I was a staff storyboard artist, and where Tom Ruger got his start writing cartoons, after having been a Hanna-Barbera assistant animator. I spent roughly a decade as a storyboard artist, prior to making the leap to full-time writing, which happened on Bakshi's Mighty Mouse. I worked as a writer and story editor on the first 65 half-hours of Tiny Toon Adventures, then left WBA for Disney in June of 1990, be a story editor on Disney's Darkwing Duck series. I spent a little over two years at Walt Disney Television Animation, also working on the experimental Disney's Raw Toonage series, then writing one half hour of their Aladdin series prior to returning to Warner's. The WBA that I rejoined in September of 1992 was far larger and much more solidly established as a major television animation player than the earlier iteration that I departed in mid-1990. There had actually been more than a faint impression that Tiny Toon Adventures was originally intended to be a standalone project, and that everyone on the crew would be looking for new jobs once that first season was in the can. It did not happen after Tiny Toon Adventures became a monster ratings hit and one of the most successful animated shows of its day. I came back to WDA at the point when the crew was well into working on Animaniacs, with roughly 30 half-hours close to completion, or at least in or near rough cut form. It was a wonderful thing to see animation getting that hearty degree of financial backing from a major studio, which hadn't happened since animation's fabled golden age. One could argue that the silver age of animation was kickstarted by the success of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and at least in terms of that film's enormous mainstream commercial breakthrough, it probably was. As the critic Leonard Malton noted, animation never went away, but the people with the money went away. Around late 1988, they came back in force, and the industry experienced the first of three major creative and employment booms. But I digress. In direct reply to your first question, I had a wonderful time working at WBA. I ended up being on staff there as a writer, story editor, and or producer for over 15 years, the longest tenure I had at any one studio during my 37-year animation career. Those of us who had entered the industry during its nadir in the late 1970s were well aware that we were experiencing a very special time from the late 1980s until about 2002. My co-workers were all very hard-working, creative people, with several of whom I shared years of employment history. There's an old saying that the animation industry is two blocks long, meaning that one tends to run into the same people throughout one's career, and that's largely the case. I say that the working environment at WDA during its peak was charged with the best kind of creative energy, a distinction I can make because I've had to work under far less rewarding conditions elsewhere. Everyone at WBA was aware of the torch that they were attempting to carry forth, tracing all the way back from the classic Warner Brothers theatrical shorts and all of those iconic crown jewel WB characters. Yeah, so that was really insightful. Yeah, very cool. Yep. So the second question that I asked Tom was, in regards to specific Pinky and the Brain episodes, what were the origin or inspiration for episodes like Opportunity Knocks, Puppet Rulers, Brain Meets Brawn, and Brainstem? And what were some of your favorite episodes that you worked on? And Minton replies, Having rejoined WBA at the point when Animaniacs was already well into production, I was handed the premise for Opportunity Knock shortly after I got there. I liked the story, and one of the best moments, in my opinion, in it is when Pinky and the Brain, or Pinky and Brain, are stopped while driving their vehicle by a cop, and we do a slow truck in as Brain tells the truth, that they are two lab mice, and, if successful, their complex, unusual plan will result in substantial financial remuneration for law enforcement. I think Brain is at his best when he tells the truth, and those he addresses fail to grasp his words. The Pinky and the Brain franchise gradually moved away from such moments, 
particularly because it eventually had to fill 65 half-hours with all new material. A few days after Opportunity Knox first aired, in the earliest days of internet chat rooms, fans living near the real Fort Knox, Kentucky, wondered how on earth the Animaniacs writers knew that the most common last name for people in that geographical area was Perkins, which is how Brain insists that Pinky address him, Mr. Perkins. Well, none of us knew that. I think Sherry Stoner had come up with the name Mr. Perkins, and it happened to match that element in the real world. That, that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Puppet Rulers was a Peter Hastings premise, to which I added a few elements. The title, the Albert Einstein me and opening bit, the Bill Clinton and JFK references, etc. The day that Puppet Rulers aired, Bob Clampett Jr. called me and asked why I named those two puppets me and Triacle, and I told him it was a tribute to a story that his dad had told me, and my then-young contemporaries, one of the nights in 1978, when he used to hold 16mm cartoon cr- screening parties at his stu- Seward Street studio, where the 1962 Beanie and Cecil animated series had been done. Of course, that would be the now well-known tale of how Albert Einstein would proclaim, It's time! Dropping whatever he was doing at the moment to watch the Beanie and Cecil puppet show on live television. Brain Meets Brawn was another Peter Hastings premise, but I think we both worked on that particular script, which may have been done around the time that Peter was leaving the studio for Disney, where he would go on to produce the One Saturday Morning series, starring a live-action Paul Rugg as Manny the Uncanny. Brain Meets Brawn was one of the few Animaniacs or Pinky and the Brain shorts I wrote that was animated by TMS, and their work at that time was, of course, absolutely superb. Brainstem was my premise, and it afforded Brain his first opportunity to sing, which not everyone was totally certain was a good idea, including Maurice, until it was done and obviously worked. After that, Brain ended up singing quite a bit. The late Liz Holtzman did a fine job directing Brainstem, and I researched that one carefully, as I am not a neurologist. My late wife, Rose, who was a registered nurse, made an audio recording, correctly pronouncing all of those specific medical terms naming parts of the human brain for Maurice to hear before he sang the song in the recording session. Curiously, Brainstem over time has developed quite a post-Animaniacs life, all on its own. For many years, it has been used in university-level medical schools as a mnemonic device to help students learn the rudimentary parts of the brain. I happened to meet a young resident physician who had to memorize Brainstem when he attended Columbia. He said to me, You wrote that? My whole class had to learn every word. I told him that I never meant to cause homework. I was just making a cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) As for other favorite episodes of mine, I was happy to see how the Animaniac short Back in Style came out, though Picky and the Brain make only a cameo in that one. Back in Style was from my premise. The history of animation has always been one of my favorite subjects as a writer, and once again, the late, great Liz Holtzman did a terrific job in directing that challenging cartoon. And the last question that I asked for Tom was, what is it like to be the main inspiration for the brain? And Tom Minton replies, Nobody seems to notice until it's brought to their attention. Then they immediately see the resemblance, particularly if they happen to be part of the generation that watched Animaniacs and or Pinky and the Brain when growing up. I gave up trying to not make myself look like the brain, for as I get older, all of my hair turns whiter, so any brain likeness is unavoidable. I just regard it as my one small claim to some degree of immortality. And that's that. <laughs> Great interview. Love it. Yeah, I, I, I thank you again. Uh, if you're listening, Tom Minton, thank you again for taking the time to answer out these questions. 
into such detail too because it's really fascinating to learn just like the behind the scenes of making these cartoons and animation history as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your insight, uh, sharing your stories about working there, being in the industry. Always fun to hear these, uh, these anecdotes of those who have been in this business uh, for, for many years. And I love, you know, I love the little stories you told about the, the one college student who had to learn brainstem along with his, you know, his other classmates. That was pretty good. And uh, that these songs, you know, these characters have such staying power uh, that to this day, people, you know, love them still. And uh, the next generation and beyond that are coming to know these characters as well and love them. And I'd love to your answer to the last question. <laughs> yeah. Of that resemblance to brain. Um, and that you just kind of see it as like your little small claim to some degree of immortality. And it's true, like that'll live on. It's like, yeah, you know, these characters are very beloved and it's super cool that you had a part to play in that. Yeah, it's cool to hear how you contributed to like the creation of those characters and like those stories and everything. And I loved hearing you uh, give credit to some of the other writers and producers and directors on the, on those shows as well. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again. Likewise. Yep. So now we'll just pivot on over to the word of the day. Yay. Yep. So today's word is a ver. It's a verb that's used with an object. And the definition is to assert or affirm with confidence. Declare in a positive or preemptory manner. And the second definition, which is related to law, which is to allege as a fact. Hmm. So the sentence I created is, When Pinky doubtfully asked why mice would choose Brain as their leader, the egotistical mouse averred that he is very likable. <laughs> and honestly, where's the lie? <laughs> Where is the lie? Brain is very likable. Yeah, he's just dropping truth bombs here. <laughs> I like that you picked that part specifically in the episode. Yeah. To use the word for, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I was trying to like look up words like related to this episode um, last night, and I'm like, dang, I got to find a good word. And then I came across that one during my word of the day, scrolling through like the different words of the day on like dictionary.com. And I'm like, hey, I could use this one. <laughs> you always find a good word. Like most of the words you picked, I've either never heard of or I haven't heard in a long time. So you always pick a really good one. Oh, well, thank you. Of course. Yep. And now we'll bring it on home and talk about our contact information and social media plug. Alrighty, let's do this. All right. You can email <laughs> us to thepointcast at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-P-O-I-T-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And we'd be more than happy to read aloud anything that you have to say, so long as it's respectful. Um, you can also find the Poitcast on Twitter. Our handle is at Poitcast. And on Tumblr, we're on poitcast.tumblr.com is where you'll find us there. And if you enjoyed this episode of our podcast or enjoyed the show in general, please uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That would be very nice. And you can also find us individually on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at MJ Hurlihy, which is MJ underscore H-E-R-L-I-H-Y. On Tumblr, you can find me at Pinestraws, that's P-I-N-E-S hyphen T-R-O-Z. And if you want to read my fanfiction, you can find my works on Archive of Our Own under my username, Congressman Mabel, all one word and all lowercase. And you can reach me on Twitter at Michikee, that's M-I-T-C-H-E-K-I-E. 
on Tumblr at PlutoArt, that's P-L-U-T-O dash A-R-T, if you like my artistic works. Or if you like fanfiction, you can check out my stories on AO3 and fanfiction.net under the username Michiki, same spelling as the Twitter account. Yeah, so thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the Poicast. And next time, we're going to return to the last two episodes of season two of the anime of the Animaniacs reboot, which are the pl- the Prisoner's Dilemma and Narf Over Troubled Water. Yep, we're going to finish it off. So look forward to that. Those will be the last two segments of season two. And then we'll be returning to the Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain segments and finishing those off before heading to the spinoff series. Yeah, um, just as a last bit, I'm really excited to talk about Narf Over Troubled Water. <laughs> Same. Yep. But for now, Pluto and I must return to the lab and prepare for the next episode. Why, Pines? What are we going to do next episode? The same thing we do every episode, Pluto. Talk about Pinky and the Brain! They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. The podcast was created for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not endorsed by Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment. All characters, sounds, and images related to Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Pinky Elmira and the Brain, and other Warner Brothers properties and trademarks are copyrighted their respective holders. The opinions of the host, co-host, and any podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment. <laughs>